Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Dan Casella, and this is the very first episode of No Pollution of Cowardice, South Jersey in the Civil War. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of William Scattergood Akeley of Company K of the 4th New Jersey Volunteers. Uh, I came across William's story by uh, just randomly searching findagrave.com, one of my favorite websites when it comes to researching Civil War soldiers. Um, I came across him by uh, typing in years of the war. That's that's sort of how I start uh, finding people when I uh, research or find a cemetery. Uh, you can search in death years, and I go through years of the war, uh, 62 to 65, to try and find anybody. And when I was searching Olivet Methodist Cemetery, which is right behind where I grew up in Pittsgrove, New Jersey, I found the story of William Akeley. What really stuck out to me was that there was no photograph of his grave. And uh, from there, I really kind of jumped into the rabbit hole. And today I'm going to tell you the story, uh, to everything that I've been able to find on him. All right, sit tight, and uh, I hope you enjoy. So without any further ado, I present to you the story of William Akeley, Company K, 4th New Jersey Volunteers. I'll start the story with William's parents. Uh, William Sr. was born 1811 in Cumberland County, New Jersey, and in 1836 he would wed Mary Smallwood of Mays Landing. They would be married by a Richard Lead, the deacon of Atlantic Methodist Episcopal Church. And in every census from 1840 to 1860, they would live in Salem County, and in Pittsgrove, New Jersey specifically. William would work as a farmer, and they would have six children together. Their oldest, daughter Caroline, would marry a man by the name of James N. Bedloe, who was a descendant of the namesake of uh, to Bedloe's Island in New York Harbor, where today the Statue of Liberty rests. William Scattergood Akeley, the third Akeley child and oldest son, was born on Sunday, June 21, 1841, and in the 1860 census, William is living in Upper Pittsgrove as a farm laborer, Samuel and Anne Garrison. After the disaster at Manassas in June of 1861, Akeley would enlist at Pole Tavern, New Jersey, into Company K of the 4th New Jersey Volunteers as a private, and he would soon be off to Trenton and then to Washington to experience the rigors of army life and the mundaneness of drill and guard mount. Akeley's regiment would become part of the 1st New Jersey Brigade and serve under the command of New Jersey's most gallant and courageous officer, General Philip Kearney, the one-armed devil. Kearney would lay the foundation for what would be one of the best and longest-serving brigades in the entire Union Army. Akeley and the 4th would first see action early off in the Peninsula Campaign at a place called Eltham's Landing, where they would make contact with another soon-to-be-famous Confederate command, John Bell Hood's Texas Brigade. Akeley would again see the elephant at a place called Gaines Mill on June 27, 1862, where the regiment would fight valiantly along the banks of the Boatswain Swamp at the Battle of Gaines Mill. The fight was heavily contested and the fourth stood their ground like veterans, but perhaps they held on too long. The following is an account from the Civil War Diary of Charles Hall, who was in Company E of the 4th New Jersey. This is the experience of Gaines Mill. The Battle of Gaines Mill, June 27, 1862. The Battle of Gaines Mill, sometimes referred to as the Battle of Gaines Farm, is the largest and bloodiest of the Seven Days Battle, took place outside of Richmond, and a Confederate victory inflicted serious casualties on the 1st New Jersey Brigade. As part of this brigade, the 4th New Jersey Regiment suffered heavy losses, mainly including a large number of men who were listed as prisoners because they surrendered. According to Beckett, one officer and 44 enlisted men were killed, 
seven officers and 96 soldiers wounded, and 22 officers and 415 enlisted men captured. Despite the fact that so many surrendered, the soldiers of the regiment were praised since they, quote, did their part with cool courage and soldierly discipline. A first-hand account of the regiment's role in the battle comes from the diary of John Beach, a sergeant in Company B of the 4th New Jersey Volunteers, shows the way that the unit fought. Quote, our regiment advanced with a yell a short distance, halted, and opened to maintain a most murderous fire. We were armed with the new Springfield rifle with patent cartridge, with no biting of the cartridges needed. Our fire was rapid and insistent. Line after line of the enemy was broken, as admitted by them later. About seven o'clock, after several requests, the 11th Pennsylvania was allowed to relieve us, our ammunition being about expended. We marched out of the woods into a clearing. A long line of battle was drawn up facing us. The smoke of burnt powder was so dense that it was hard for us to tell whether they were our troops or the enemy. They were the enemy and in our rear. Colonel Simpson attempted to take the regiment past the enemy's right flank, and the enemy at once prepared to deliver a volley. The order to lie down was promptly obeyed, and the volley passed over them. It being certain that the escape was impossible, the 4th Regiment surrendered, and we had been fighting for over an hour, and all other regiments of the Union Army had been withdrawn, and kept the enemy from advancing. Beckett also gives the assessment of this encounter from General Taylor. Quote, the fate of the 4th Regiment, Colonel Simpson, one of my most ef efficient regiments, as regard to officers and men, was most painful. At the moment when victory seemed wavering in the balance, an aide of General McClellan took them from my command and ordered them into the woods. All the account I can give of them is that but one officer, wounded and 82 men, have rejoined my command. All the rest, if living, were, were believed to be prisoners of war. I have learned from those who have come up to that time where the regiment was surrounded, they have received from and returned the enemy a most galling fire. Quote, in conclusion, I would say that so far I am at present informed my officers, commissioned and non-commissioned, nobly perform their duties to their part with cool courage and soldierly discipline. The captured men were returned to the Union Army in prisoner exchange about 40 days after the battle. The regiment, including young Akeley, would be taken to Richmond, stripped of their colors, baggage, and their prized 1861 Springfields, which were purchased out of pocket by their first and most beloved commander, General Kearney. As said before, 40-some days in prison, they were returned and exchanged to the army. But a shadow hung over them. And to add insult to injury, they were rearmed with leftover smoothbore muskets and immediately sent to rejoin the New Jersey Brigade and the 6th Corps in its pursuit of the Confederate Army in Maryland. While their initial goal was to reach Harper's Ferry, they would catch up with the Johnnies at a place called Crampton's Gap, where they would have their finest moment. The New Jersey Brigade was, quote, flushed with victory that day. They would attack in column, up and through the gap. The fruit of their attack would yield about 300 prisoners, a large quantity of knapsacks and haversacks, three stand of colors, and 700 Springfield rifles, more than enough to refit the entire regiment. Akeley and the entire Sixth Corps would rest at Crampton's Gap and completely miss the Battle of Antietam, America's single most violent day of the war. Later that year, at Fredericksburg, Akeley and the Fourth would be on the far right of an area that would be later known as Slaughter Pen Farm. Their mark on a map provided by the American Battlefield Trust would put them right near the Richmond, Fredericksburg, and Potomac Railroad, 
All the Big Movements and Actions on the Field That Day by John Gibbon, George Meade, the Pennsylvania Reserves, and the 114th Pennsylvania were all about a half mile to a mile away. William for sure heard the terrible noise of battle, although they would have Latimer's Virginia Battery and Law's North Carolina and Alabama Brigade directly in their front. Their attention may have been focused elsewhere. While other New Jersey regiments attacked Mary's Heights and suffered dearly, Akeley was lucky enough to miss all of that, at least this time around. 1863 would start on a far better note than 1862 ended. Burnside would be out, and Joe Hooker was in. Morale would improve, rations got better, and a spring campaign was announced. On the second day of the Battle of Chancellorsville, May 1st, 1863, it is reported that William Akeley is promoted to corporal. He and his comrades of the 4th New Jersey would be with the 6th Corps and again head for Fredericksburg, but this time with a very different result. However, their progress would be stopped at a battle called Salem's Church, where the rest of the New Jersey Brigade, including two new regiments, the three-year 15th New Jersey and the nine-month 23rd New Jersey, better known as the Yahoos, would brawl with Mississippians and Alabamians. The 4th would again sit up the fight entirely. With the Sixth Corps movement and the rest of the Union Army's advance stalling and falling back until vanquished from the field, not by Jackson's flank attack, but by lack of proper leadership, contingencies, and communication. When George Meade was placed in command of the Union Army on June 28th, Akeley and the 4th New Jersey were en route, unknown at the time, from Virginia to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, a distance of over 90 miles, and they would cover it in just over five days. Although the 6th Corps arrived late to Gettysburg, some units, however, like Akeley and the 1st New Jersey Brigade, were kept in reserve, and the 4th was kept on the Granite Schoolhouse Lane guarding wagon trains. The regiment's monument is located today on the intersection of Granite Schoolhouse Lane and Blacksmith Road. Again, the rest of the brigade would advance near the battlefield with an eye shot of the wheat field. There, the brigade has a monument on the east side of Sedgwick Avenue south of the intersection of United States Avenue. After the decisive victory at Gettysburg, William and his comrades would, would join in pursuit of Lee and his army back into Virginia. Corporal Akeley would be promoted to sergeant on September 1st, 1863, and then would participate in the Bristow Station campaign in October of that year, shortly before the armies would hunker down into winter quarters, where, two days before Christmas, December 26th, 1863, William Akeley re-enlisted. It is fair to assume, although not mentioned in records, Akeley was probably able to go home, back to his family and friends, away from army life and the hardships of war. Winter would turn to spring, and spring meant they were back to their soldierly work. Little did anyone know the horrors that awaited them in what would be known as the Overland Campaign. Ulysses S. Grant was now east and with the Army of the Potomac. They would go back across the old Chancellorsville battlefield, where just days before, rains had washed away old, shallow graves, revealing bones of the men killed there a year before. On May 5th, the two great armies would smash into one another in the heavily overgrown forests known locally as the Wilderness. 
The fighting would occur again, and Akeley and the men of the 1st New Jersey Brigade would not be able to sit out the fight to come on May the 6th. The 4th New Jersey would be positioned on the right flank of the 6th Corps' line, facing west along the Orange Turnpike. They would be hit full force by Jubal Early's Division of Veteran Confederates on their front and right. Soon their flank would be turned by John B. Gordon's Georgia Brigade, and at some point in the fight, William Akeley would pick up the regimental colors and hold them to keep his fellow Jerseymen together in the thick smoke and chaos that was happening all around them. The flag and staff that Akeley was responsible for was struck 37 times that day by both shot and shrapnel. Akeley would be severely wounded in both legs as a result of carrying a stick into a gunfight, a fate found far too often by those who chose to carry their country's standard, both Northerners and Southerners. William would escape the horrors that was to happen the night of May 6th and be able to be evacuated to Pennsylvania Hospital in Philadelphia, where he received special treatment to recover and convalesce from his wounds. By 1865, he would be able to walk again and with the aid of crutches, but this would not deter young Akeley. Strangely, instead of being discharged from the army, Akeley is sent home to Pittsgrove and is in the care of his mother after William's own request to rejoin his brothers who were now around Fort Fisher, Petersburg, Virginia. It is found in an article from the emerging Civil War that William would be reported absent or missing under his mother's care, and he would return back in Petersburg by January the 31st. Sergeant William Akeley is made a first lieutenant of Company K, the unit that he had served with and had been with its formation all the way back in Pole Tavern two and a half years earlier. At this point, the New Jersey Brigade is going to receive a new regiment, and I'm sure Akeley would find himself interacting with the new New Jerseymen joining the ranks of the Veteran Brigade. The men of the 40th New Jersey would join the brigade company by company instead of a whole regiment, and they would receive probably a very rude and rustic training. They would arrive until late March of 1865, and they wouldn't have long to wait before they would have their turn to see the elephant. It is important to note at this time, the men of the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd had all either mustered out, or if they had re-enlisted, they were consolidated into the 10th New Jersey, the 15th New Jersey, respectively. The men of the 3rd were formed a veteran volunteer regiment. I was unable to locate enough information about them at this time to really put them in the story. On April 2nd, 1865, the entire 6th Corps lay outside of Fort Fisher and ready to attack and shatter the thin Confederate line that lay in front of them. Akeley and his company would lay in wait for the signal to go. The brigade was stacked in column, one regiment after the other. First, and probably the newest regiment on the field in both armies, was the 40th New Jersey, followed closely by the veteran 4th, and then the 10th New Jersey, known as Olden's Legion, after former New Jersey Governor Charles Olden, and then closed up with the 15th New Jersey, all under the command of William Penrose. Once the attack was finally underway, with the 40th in the lead, they fell to the ground and refused to go forward, either by enemy fire or nerves remains debated today. Lieutenant Akeley and Company K, the veterans in the 4th, 10th, and the 15th, would pass over and cussing the men of the 40th until they came along. The rifle and cannon fire was thick, and the men fell at every pace. Lieutenant Akeley, who was noted to move with a limp, had his sword drawn and was among the first to reach the Confederate line. Akeley would lead the surging wave of Jersey Blue into the works of their gray-clad foes and grasp the carriage of a cannon and be noted to shout, Come on, boys, come on! The Confederate line would be shattered at Petersburg that day. 
Later, the mayor of Petersburg would actually surrender the town to an officer of the 40th New Jersey, a man named Major Butterfield. Lieutenant William Akeley would be lost on April 2, 1865. His mother, Mary Smallwood Akeley, would hire a guide and travel to Petersburg, Virginia, in a vain effort to find her oldest son. She would return home to Pittsgrove and pass on December 13, 1867, at the age of 51. After Mary's death, William Sr. is noted to be living in Millville as a farmer in the 1870 census. William Sr. would have also served in the Union during the war, but he served in the 24th New Jersey, a nine-month regiment that had seen action at Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville and would be mustered out in Beverly just days before the Battle of Gettysburg. William Sr. in 1880 would move out to Landis in Cumberland County and work as a teamster and a farmer. William would receive his military pension on January 2, 1890, and would also receive his son William's pension June 7th of that year. William would pass and be buried next to his wife Mary at what is today Olivet Methodist Church in Pittsgrove, New Jersey. Lieutenant William Akeley would receive a posthumous promotion to captain for his actions on April 2nd. Findagrave.com, like I said, lists him as being buried in Olivet Cemetery with his parents. However, now Captain William Akeley probably rests among the 4,579 unknown soldiers buried at Poplar Grove National Cemetery in Petersburg, Virginia. Although young Akeley never married or had children, the Akeley name in South Jersey is very strong and has deep roots. Unfortunately, there is no photograph of Akeley, so my search will continue to bring a face to this story. Sadly, this is one that is very similar to the over 600,000 Americans who sacrificed during the Civil War. William Akeley would be only 24 years old when he would lose his life at the Battle of Petersburg. Thank you for listening. My name is Dan Casella, and this is No Pollution of Cowardice, South Jersey in the Civil War. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, I would greatly appreciate a five-star rating. A, sh- a like and share on social media would be awesome. This is uh, just getting off the ground for me, so I'm just doing this by myself at the moment, uh, figuring it out as I go along. Um, and positive feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you again for listening, and uh, I hope you'll tune in for the next one. Thanks for listening.